I'm sorry. I'm not. <coughs> sorry. That's fine. You can cough all you want. We're not in person. <laughs> I'm not ill. I was naughty. I had crunchy nut cornflakes, and I shouldn't have done because it's during the week. I don't have them during the week, really. But I have I have <laughs> porridge from Monday to Friday. Then I have a cooked breakfast on Saturday, and then I have a naughty breakfast on Sunday, which is like crunchy nut cornflakes. Or something. How very organised of you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking that that flooring that you've got looks like Lego. Yeah, you're not the first person. Uh, I hate that. <laughs> Sorry. What are you going to say? Oh, what an original thought. But no. No, uh, yeah, everyone's like, oh my God, Legos. And then someone else is like, you've got a Dupla house. Mm, <laughs> great. I say you can never feel less original than if you've come up with what you think is a really good topical joke. Before you put it into Twitter, just search for that joke and you'll find out that like everyone has made that joke. Everyone has said it. <laughs> I mean, they might not have quite worded it in the way that you, you might have worded it better. And Well, sometimes I feel like with my yoga stuff, I feel like I'm repeating other yoga teachers. It's the same thing, definitely. Like if you think of something and you think, oh, that's quite unique, that's quite original. That's a nice way of saying that. And then two two days later, you see it on it or you end up seeing it right the day you write it or something. And you'd be like, oh. That's basically what I said. <laughs> and then you feel like you're just copying someone. <laughs> and then they say they probably get like a billion likes for it and you get two or something. I mean, it would help if I probably lost more clothes in my pictures or something. Like, <laughs> oh, they yeah, you have an OnlyFans, do you? But <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. It was like they say, there's no original ideas. It's just everything's already been done. You just got to have to put your little twinge on it. Mm-hmm. It's very obvious with jokes because there's such a intellectual copyright or whatever on it. Like if if you've written something someone's already done, you can't do it really. I mean, there yeah. there are people that don't care and will will just yeah. be like, oh no, I thought of that independently, so it's fine. And but it's not really on. Yeah. And I'd hate to be going around doing a the same bit as someone else. And a bit like Vanilla Ice. No, really, I thought about it all by myself. So I I used to think I was a genius, but I'm not. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I feel like I've got to a nice balance between, like we said before, everybody's kind of already done it. So you've got to find a balance between like sharing what you really honestly want to share and obviously with copyright issues in mind, <laughs> but then also kind of not caring if, if it, someone's already said it once, especially with things around yoga. It's, you know, it's been around for that long. and You can't say that. Iyengar said that 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I think the best you can do is genuinely mean something again it's like if you think you come up with something organic it's quite possibly come from you mm. occasionally something gets supplanted in your head that you've heard and you don't realize that you're saying something exactly. that something has already been said then but if it comes from you you've got to think well it's somewhat authentic yeah it's nothing more annoying than when i find out that someone else has done a joke and i've done it better but i can't like <laughs> i can't do it because it's like <laughs> I mean, I reckon 95% of the stuff you write just never sees the light of day because it's already been done. How do you stay motivated when you know there's a chance you could write something and then it just be on Twitter two years ago or something? (laughs) I I don't know. I just accept that, really. Someone did a tweet that was very similar to a joke that I've been doing for a long time. We couldn't figure out who came up with it first, but they just did a tweet and I had a whole routine about it. So I was like, well, I'm doing the routine on stage. So that's, to me, was kind of okay to keep that. I don't know. Kind of just use your judgment. Yeah, it's very different, uh, different mediums, isn't it? So some people are really, really funny on Twitter and not funny on stage at all. And some people, the other, I, I think I'm probably the other way around. 
Right. And I hope I am anyway, because I'm not really that <laughs> I'm not that good at Twitter really, but well, do you feel like other than just like getting your name out there, do you feel like there's any real monetary value in being good on Twitter? I think so much of it is about having a social media game now. So theoretically, if you the Edinburgh Festival, I keep talking about that. That's almost like the end of the comedy year. Like, so that's what you work. You work up your show for the whole of the year and do it then. But there's so many acts that go up there, and no one will know who to go and see. If they follow someone on social media because their tweets are good, they'll be like, "Oh, well, they're also doing a show. I'll see them." Right. So yeah, I, I think having a social media game is really, really important. Building up followers and it's so like weird and fickle on there because so much of it is not about. It is about how good you are, but it's also if other people validate how good you are online, if famous people retweet stuff, then other people know it's okay to like it. So if you do a gig in a room of people, they don't know who you are, which obviously is always the case with me, well, 99% Mm. of the time. So because I'm quite awkward looking and some people often think I'm going to be rubbish before I say anything. And then, no, 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 it's part of the plan honestly like it, it works to my advantage don't feel okay <laughs> you know, but i do get sort of a lot of people going oh god what's this gonna be and then you then when you show people you're good people laugh but if people aren't quite sure you need people to lead it there needs to be people to laugh and then everyone else goes oh yeah it's okay actually we get it and then they all you know it kind of validates other people laughing mm. if you're just doing it on the internet by yourself and someone else is looking at your jokes, and it's not got any likes yet, well, are you going to be the first person that likes it? Because you don't know if you might like it, but you don't really know if it's kind of okay to like it, because do other people like it? So Mm. there's this weird sort of like momentum thing. You could do a tweet, and half an hour goes by, and no one likes it, and then that's it, nothing's going to happen. But if a couple of people like it within the first couple of minutes, or if someone with a blue tick retweets it or something, everyone suddenly, even if it was worse than the joke that no one interacted with, it's suddenly okay to like that one. Do you not think that in the digital world, that's just playing with algorithms, though? I mean, like, people wouldn't have seen the first one because it had no like, rather than like actually saying like a validation of opinion. It's probably both because I think Twitter's not quite gamed it with the algorithms it's more like when you see it rather than things not being visible i don't know how much they suppress if you mention youtube i know they suppress the post a bit why is that then because they would rather you embed the video on twitter oh so if you're like here's a clip of me on youtube they'd be like yeah not everyone's gonna see that (laughs) i mean they all do it I, i feel like twitter's fairer in that regard but it's also so much more wild because if you do miss something or someone misses something you post then it's gone like no one's going to ever see that but if it starts to take fire it can really really go somewhere whereas on facebook or instagram more people are probably more likely to see it but it's probably not going to go viral yeah it's just the nature of the game you win some you lose some but i think there is a little bit of like there is a confidence momentum type thing going on when people choose to engage with something it's much easier i think to engage with something that's already doing well than something that you're starting the ball rolling, you know. Or I could just be tweeting rubbish continually, but... <laughs> do you feel that way? Like, when you when you come across things, do you feel like if you were the first person to, to like it or respond or comment, do you feel like that's... That, are you hesitant? I think I'm less hesitant to do it, but I probably still am a bit. Because this is new to me. I didn't really think about that. I wouldn't... 
consciously have said that that affected my liking or disliking of something. There's a lot going on in your head. That you're oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely hear you there. No, I mean, I know I'm going to end up speaking about comedy probably too much, but to be honest, it's the only thing we'll talk about that I know more about than you. So, <laughs> so, so it's all right, I think, every so often. I'm sure you know lots of things that I don't know. I know a bit more about cricket or something. Because there's, there's loads of stuff I didn't realise about how... So when you start doing comedy in clubs in different rooms and with different people in them, you do start to realise how subtle manipulations in atmosphere and stuff, not just what you say, but like the actual acoustics of a room and where people are seeing. And you, you realise how susceptible people are to tiny little subtle changes that they wouldn't even realise were big things. All right. So now that I'm experienced enough, if I go into a room where there's a gig happening and the ceiling is huge, I'd just be like, oh, no. But when you started doing comedy, if you went into this massive room, you might think, oh, wow, this is going to be an occasion. This is really big and grand or something. But you don't realize that the higher the ceiling, the worse it is for comedy because the laughs kind of disappear and it doesn't catch. The best comedy rooms are like rooms where there's like 200 people in a basement and really low ceilings. And then the atmosphere kind of gets capped and the laughter rolls more and and yeah and the way people are sat near each other and that's why the pandemic's really not great for comedy because if you're sitting in a group of six away from a lot of other people you don't catch the laughter from other because it's all a again this is why it sounds quite cynical to say oh well people need to know that they're allowed to laugh because other people have laughed but that is exactly what happens i mean when, how how many times do you laugh by yourself not quite as much as when you're in a group of people when you're laughing at the same thing I think as well, laughter is, a, is quite contagious. So, like, if someone if someone is laughing about something and you don't know what you're laughing about, like, if some if you're sat at a group of group of desks or something and someone a couple seats away starts laughing really loudly, you'll put on a big smile. And then if you're bold enough, you might say, what are you laughing about? You know, but you certainly wouldn't necessarily be completely unaffected by it. You would at least smile, if not laugh yourself, even though you have no idea why we're laughing. Yeah, you might be laughing at the absurdity of the fact that you're laughing at something you don't quite know that you're <laughs> laughing about. I mean, it's just, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's like when they used to put the laughing tracks on TV shows, you know, from the 90s and stuff. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. So you do become quite cynical as to how people get affected and you realise that you're probably subtly manipulated in, in many ways as well. I listened to a podcast with a, it's like a behavioural geneticist called uh, Robert Sapolsky recently. I don't know if you've heard of him. No, I don't think so. I'm really bad with names. I'll say that a million times. I'll probably say that in every single episode. <laughs> you've probably read all of Robert Sapolsky's essays, but you can't remember his name. That's fair enough. So uh, Yeah. <laughs> So they will do experiments with people where they will ask them surveys on their opinions and they will do it in a controlled environment and then they will do the same test six months later, exactly the same questions. But if they do it with, for example, a really smelly bin nearby, people's opinions in the survey become slightly more negative because they're affected by the environment. Because they're uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And then when they asked them afterwards, why did you change your opinion on, you know, six months ago you were very positive about insert thing, now you've changed your mind. What they'll then say is they won't say, oh, well, it's because there was a smelly smell. They say, they rationalize it. They say, oh, well, that's because I had an experience a few months ago that made me change my mind. But it's not that because they've just changed the environment. So, I mean, this is not just 
you know, this is an experiment with many people. It's not just one person. Yeah, yeah. And so we don't even realise that we're being manipulated in these ways. But if you ask us why we were different in one situation and another, we'll, we'll have a different explanation. Yeah, we like you're saying, we justify it in our own mind why we feel the way we feel. Yeah. Have you ever read? Yeah. You should. You should definitely read this book. Um, okay, I'll write it down. Well, you don't have to write it down. You can just listen back. <laughs> Unless it doesn't make the cut. But I think it should, because I think everybody should read this. I hate people that say that. Everybody should read this book, and it's about, you know, I don't know, it's the Bible or something. <laughs> but, um, have you ever read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman? No. Well, that is one of the best books I've ever read about, or it's the best book I've ever read about the way that our minds work. It's about how... A part of your brain will automatically analyze a situation and make a judgment, but the other part of the brain is a more contemplative part. And generally, it works very well because we've evolved in a way that we can analyze situations really quickly and make judgments. Yeah. But there are a small percentage of things we get vastly, vastly wrong. And, and a lot of it's to do with the fact that we quite like creating stories in our minds rather than being able to have a very cold statistical analysis of data. It's very, very difficult because basically how we see the world and what, what we experience around us is a culmination of everything we've experienced so far. It's basically like putting on colored tinted glasses. Everything that you have experienced so far will affect how you feel about something now, no matter really how hard you try for it not to. It's going to at least a little bit. And then some people don't try at all and it affects them a lot. You know, that's why you get fights when people are going, oh, well, you've always done that. And it's like, yeah, well, what if they change? It could change, but you'll never see it because you're colored by your past experiences, which don't get me wrong, that those experiences might be 100% real, but that's not to say that that's happening now, but it always starts to like you're saying, it just kind of, like when you're angry and then everything annoys you that little bit more, <laughs> or when you're really cold and you just want to get home or be out of the cold, you kind of get a little bit grumpy or touchy. These kind of things, they all start to affect how we feel. And then there's definitely that whole culmination of experiences that we've had so far that just completely, you know, you can't help but judge a situation based on what you've experienced. For one, it's a way of keeping yourself safe. It's how we've evolved. We learn so that we can survive, kind of. Apparently, we misremember pain quite badly, like painful experiences. We we only remember the bit, either like the bit at the beginning, the bit at the end, and the peak of it. So when they ask people if they want to repeat painful experiences they've just gone through, they tend to go for sometimes what is actually a worse experience because they've remembered it in a different way. Than mm. I've realised that my memory is extremely unreliable because I mean I feel like I've changed enormously over thirty something years, but. I don't know what the fundamentals of me are still the same from 20 years ago. And I don't know, I don't know what I felt then. And so I, if I say, oh, well, I was always a certain way or I was always grumpy or I was always, well, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I just don't know. I, yeah. I'm not a reliable judge of it, but I also don't necessarily think that people that knew me back then would have been reliable judges of it because they're all viewing me through a different prism anyway. So it's like, mm. I, I think I know who I am now, but I don't know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who I was five years ago or yeah that is definitely that is definitely something that's like you're saying you, you tend to kind of when you grow and learn or decide things or like you're saying you just slowly change it's hard to look back and think did I was I like this then was I not unless it's a really big difference obviously like a life-changing difference like if you used to drink and then you don't or something like that or like I, I look back on my childhood now not not teens like actual childs I was really horrible I was really mean <laughs> 
I don't really, and I always think back and I think, oh God, I hope I didn't scar my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't very nice. I think I used to like be quite bossy and tell people what we were going to play. And... You get that out in a, in a by leading a yoga class now, don't you? <laughs> we are going to do a few sun salutations. <laughs> <laughs> don't rest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have this attitude where I sort of like want to forget. I know I said it before. I kind of want to forget where it was in some ways and just move on. But it sounds, I don't know, like scorched no, yeah, earth yeah, policy definitely. there. Burn the past. But if I bump into people I used to go to school with and if they ever mention, oh, do you remember when you used to, I don't know, when you got off with the chemistry teacher's door? I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to be reminded <laughs> about that again. <laughs> but um, that's what I hate about school. It's just there's too many people at school, you know? It's like a bloody... <laughs> gossipy soap opera thing where you just you can't lead a private life at school can you i'm just so glad that there wasn't really any social media when i was at school we oh, just had yes. we just had myspace and that was it was kind of pointless because you didn't do anything on myspace you just had a page it was like a look at me page <laughs> and then that was it and uh i'm so glad that that's all we had and that we didn't really have mobile phones the experience that I did have when I was a teenager and stuff was really quite, was okay. You know, it was, it was all right. There was no horrible, horrible, shocking things that happened or, and I can imagine with phones and cameras everywhere, that would definitely happen more easily these days. Yeah. And you get a reminder of it, like when you're like 30. Yeah. Reminder, do you remember when you did this when, <laughs> when you were 17, you looked like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and then you think, oh my god, why did I have my hair like that? But at least now, when you look back, you can just be like, oh, it's a physical picture. And you can be like, yep, putting that back in that box, and nobody sees it. <laughs> when we first joined social media, when I got on Facebook, you had to have a university account to join Facebook. Oh, I don't, I don't ever remember that, so I don't know if maybe that was different. Right. Well, you had to, I had to use my university account to for the hmm. first year or something. Then they opened the, the floodgates afterwards and let normal people on. <laughs> the less well-educated. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now all your family are on it. I think like, yeah. God, I can't imagine growing up and having like school photographs and like, yeah. I just think it's, honestly, I would have divorced my family if that had been yeah. put on. I just be like, you, I, I can't be growing up in the public eye. I don't even, and that's not the public eye, but do you know what I mean? Like, there was a thing about that. Uh, where someone got taken to court because they had naked pictures of their child on the web and then the child got a little bit, not famous, but maybe a little bit well-known for something. And they were like, well, this is affecting my life now because there's these naked pictures of me all over the internet of me, me when I was a baby, don't get me wrong. Like they're not necessarily adult pictures, but it's still, it's like, I don't, I don't want this out there, but my parents posted it. Now what do I do? I just have to de-tag myself in so many things that were going on in university. Like, why are your pupils weird? Oh, no reason. It was dark. I think it's really interesting these days because when I was online, my parents definitely were not. I'm not to say that it was like I was doing things I shouldn't be doing, but you didn't really have to worry about your parents necessarily reading something or looking at something or getting the wrong idea. You know, like if you if you share something and it's like a simple quote that says, you know, be kind to people or else or something stupid and then <laughs> your parents go <laughs> yeah and then your parents go like oh what does that mean do we do you want to talk about something and and you'd be like oh god no it's just a joke like my little sister she posts loads all the time all over her facebook and my parents are constantly on them you know commenting and liking and stuff and i always think like oh that'd be so annoying to know that everything i post my parents would have seen at that age i'm not bothered now but <laughs> as a teenager i think that would have annoyed me <laughs> I mean, I just had the attitude growing up that I just couldn't wait to get away from 
So to have to be connected to them online, I just, I mean, there's nothing against my family, but I kind of really wanted my... Your freedom. Yeah. As soon as I was, as early as I knew I was going to be able to leave home one day, I couldn't wait. Well, you're, you're preaching to the choir here because I don't think I would have moved to England when I was a teenager if I didn't feel that way. So. No, no, no. <laughs> just maybe just for the, uh, the listeners. My family don't live here. I came over by myself. <laughs> Smuggled away on a, on a boat. Yeah, I was in a suitcase. <laughs> anyway, I think this feeds into a story that you wanted to tell me about Toy Story. Does it? I, no, I, it you, really. Well, no, you don't think? <laughs> that sounds like a, such a fabricated link, that, doesn't it? Hmm. <laughs> Wait, I'm assuming you watched Toy Story when you were a child. Not when you were an adult. <laughs> no, I think I was an adult when I saw the second and third one. Okay, so when I used to sort of get, but in terms of setting off sort of anxious spirals in my head, I remember one of those spells got set off by watching one of the Toy Stories because, have you seen them? I've seen all of them except the latest one. No, latest one's okay. I think, is, it, is there a Toy Story 4? Yeah, it's got the fork thing in it. Oh yeah, I've seen adverts for it, I've not actually seen it. It's okay, I mean it doesn't ruin the, I'm not too precious about it to be honest but like. i think my husband watched it one time maybe when i was i was out teaching or something then he said to him he said it was horrible i don't know but you know he, he wouldn't necessarily go public and say by the way toy story 4 is horrendous he would just be like oh no i wouldn't recommend it too late because that is public now so um <laughs> so i think it's toy story 3 because andy the kid like grows up so like he the toys like leave him They've got to, like, live the rest of their lives in whatever, like, I don't know, they go to the daycare center or something, mm. whatever. But when I was watching that, I suddenly started feeling like, oh, God, they've got this problem for eternity now. Even if they're thrown in a dump, they're still going to be, like, living. And I found that really triggering because I was like, I don't like the idea of eternity. And I just thought it was kind of horrified me a little bit that they're going to, like... I thought you'd laugh at some point during that, but... No, that, I, mean, that was... I, I feel... I, I agree. Because I was actually thinking the very first time that I watched Toy Story, so I was a child then, um, I remember thinking I didn't like it because I didn't want my toys to be alive. Because I got new toys and I got rid of old ones and I never wanted to feel like I was doing harm to my toys, if you know what I mean. Like I would give them to old friends or charity or whatever. I mean, we didn't intend to like throw things away in the trash when they were fine. But it was still that connection where you like, you don't want to hurt the toy. And then with you saying they would live forever. Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> it's a horrible thought. It's horrible. Yeah, definitely. And also, they're not even like going to age in the way that we, I don't know, arms are going to fall off. They're going to get scratched. The dog's going to bite them or something. I can see how you would go down a spiral of sadness thinking about these toys in a, in a tip somewhere. If I ever have children, they'll be biodegradable toys. I thought you were going to say your children were going to be biodegradable. <laughs> well, that's also true, isn't it, I suppose? <laughs> the doorbell's just rung. Can I just get that? So. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Hmm. That's the worst thing when you're doing stuff and the doorbell rings and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm out of breath now, running upstairs. I think I'm going to come back up quickly so I don't lose time. I can't talk for a minute because I'm panting. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. So, so quickly, just before I go, class was good yesterday. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. And I did the thing, didn't I? Yes. Held that crane thing for... Yeah, it looked really good. 
I mean, you saw it this time, didn't you? So. Yes, I did. I made a point to watch this time. So just for posterity's sake, I did very well holding a crane pose the other day. Didn't yeah, I? Yes. you did. You did very well. I'm very impressed. I'm surprised um, that you're not... I wonder what's stopping you from lifting up a little bit higher in your wheel pose, because I don't think it's strength. No one has ever, ever said to me that it can't be my strength. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really considered Schwarzenegger over here. Well, when I see you doing it... Because I don't feel like I can... I don't think I'd be able to move the elbows in such a way that I could straighten... I think it might be your flexibility, yeah. Maybe not necessarily like... Because you, you can obviously get your hands down and you lift up a little bit. But I was wondering if maybe there's a little bit of some rotation in the elbow that's not quite right. You know, maybe a little bit of flexibility, not quite in the right place to, to go straight. So maybe that's something I'll think about before our next class and I'll put in some shoulder stretches. Because can I build up flexibility over i mean it's not a you know that's a very very incremental thing if so but that i feel like i am a bit more flexible than i was but still not an yes so i would say to the majority of my students if you start a yoga practice that is regular so more than once a week so usually about twice a week or more there should be some noticeable changes in your flexibility within one year, which I realize is a very long time for the most people when they come to a fitness class. They want, you know, they want to be skinny tomorrow. But in terms of just flexibility, one year, I've had students who go from being literally a foot or two away from touching their toes with straight legs to being able to put their hands flat on the floor in one year. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody's skeletons are different. So this isn't like guaranteed. <laughs> But I just say, like, if you if you regularly practice for a year, you should feel a difference, even if it's not as obvious as that. And then you can emphasize that difference by practicing certain poses regularly. So if you know or if you feel like maybe your shoulders need a little bit more flexibility because you can't strain your elbows and have your head above your head, hands above your head or something like that, you could work on poses that stretch through the upper back and shoulders, which may be something that people who lift weights would have a problem with more than people who don't or something. Uh, there's there's my problem then. <laughs> what are you changing in the physical body there that makes you... What is changing that makes you more flexible? Is it your muscle? So you cannot st stretch your connective tissue. So the only thing that actually changes is the muscle. So if you stretch connective tissue, you don't stretch, you break which in micro amounts, I mean literally micro, tiny, tiny, tiny amounts, is a good thing and is usually what you do when you're just feeling a bit stiff and you stand up and your legs go and you feel like you're kind of cracking yourself open because you were sat down too long, you know, that kind of thing. Those are those micro breaks in your fascia and they're completely normal and quite healthy. In terms of like being able to not touch your toes and then after a long period of time being able to touch your toes, that is your muscles. So your muscles actually get tight. They literally just tighten up, and unless you move them, they won't loosen up. So it just takes time. They literally just overlap with each other, and then they can create more connections there and more overlaps until they just go all tight around each other. And then a little bit of stretch will pull it. A little bit more might pull a little bit more. And then over time, your body gets used to that, and you get more and more flexible. But it's only muscle. It's, it's not really anything else. But the muscle can create space in other ways. So like you have tiny little muscles in between the ribs, little intercostal muscles, and those stretch, you know, when we do back bends and forward folds. And then you may be able to find that you can take bigger, deeper breaths. It's a hard thing to measure because like I said, it's very slow. So how would you know if you really took a deeper breath now than you did a year ago? But <laughs> you may feel some changes like that as well. I had a student that said he found his posture 
was naturally better, and it was more comfortable for him to have good posture. You know, to sit up rather than to always be leaning or or something like that. <laughs> Just straighten myself <laughs> up so. now. Like, and, and, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like there's the like just subtle changes in the body as well as really obvious ones. There's gonna there's there's a limit, isn't there? So if I I, might, I still might not ever be able to get my heels down in a down dog or something, it's just because you can't change yeah. the bones. And you have to be careful not to try. So a lot of the, the stories you hear of people who have hurt themselves in classes are usually from people just being a bit too forceful or doing a pose wrong for a very long time. So it's specifically in the hips. I would really be hesitant to say go to your full flexibility in your hips in any pose. Even though it's a stable joint, because it's so stable, we can go too far with it. So, like, you wouldn't necessarily go too far with your shoulder because it's a very not stable joint. It's basically just bone touching against a little bit of bone that's very slightly rounded. Whereas, like, your hip is like deep inside another, you know, full set of bones that's wrapped around with loads of tendons and loads of muscles, and it's not coming out unless it's something ridiculous happens to your leg. You know, it's 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 not going to pop out of its own accord in a yoga class. Whereas, like, your shoulder's a little bit more sensitive, and you have to be careful. So with the hip, because it's such a stable joint, we tend to overdo it, and it can you can rub bone on bone in the hip. You can you can take the leg so far that the bone basically touches the other bone that you know that it's in its socket with, and over time that's how you wear things down and give yourself problems. You know, my dad was a footballer and had to get his hip replaced because he basically spent twenty years kicking a football from one leg like repeatedly. Oh yeah, yeah, those imbalances and wear and tear and stuff. Yeah. You got me worried about my wheel pose now. I thought I was doing all right there. No, you are doing all right. No, no, it's just something that I can see you're obviously strong or you wouldn't be able to do your crane. I think it's because I'm about nine stone. I don't think it's strength so much. (laughs) It's not good enough for Instagram yet, perhaps. Anything's good enough for Instagram. Instagram needs a makeover anyway. (laughs) (laughs) A makeover full of real yogis doing real yoga poses. Like me. Sorry, I kept you talking so long. That's all right. I'm just going to get a drink and I've got another class at six, so I'm just going to go upstairs and warm up for a bit. I will stop the recording. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, thanks for listening, everyone. Next week, we talk about Shavasana and finding a good meditation app. Thanks for all your comments, uh, the positive ones anyway. There have only been positive ones. I mean, maybe cynics just keep it to themselves and we want it to stay that way. Uh, If you have been enjoying the show, don't forget to tell everybody that you know in all kinds of ways because we love more listeners and we've exhausted our own organic reach so it's kind of up to other people to tell other people and that'd be lovely. I mean, I mean, you can keep listening without telling anyone if you're ashamed of it or or like just very shy and that's fine. You know, don't leave. Um, Anyway, oh yeah, the music that is briefly... That you don't even hear it it's just background really isn't it but it's Dr. Turtle Kashinless Wonder licensed under Creative Commons I think I have to credit them every time or we get sued or something they'll probably complain about the fact that I moan about the track every time anyway but right see you next I hope please come back <laughs>